0: The Knowledgeable Provider Podcast is intended primarily to entertain, also to inform, but it is not a substitute for actual medical training and should not be used by anyone to diagnose or treat any medical condition in themselves or others. If you need medical advice, please make an appointment to see your own knowledgeable medical provider. The opinions expressed by me and anyone else who happens to appear on the podcast are solely those of the people expressing them and are not necessarily representative of any other entities. Other than the lunches at the office, I do not receive any sort of compensation from pharmaceutical or medical device companies, and I have no other relevant financial disclosures. Look, this is all for fun, okay? Don't sue me. All right, on with the show. David Heinen, welcome to Knowledgeable Provider. Thanks so much for your time. It's good talking to you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate it too. I've been looking forward to the conversation.
1: Yeah. You want to introduce yourself? My name is David Heinen Jr. I am just a guy that got diagnosed with ARFID about five years ago, and that's uh, Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a diagnosis that most people, I would guess even most healthcare people, are not familiar with.
1: No, I I was definitely not familiar with it when I heard of it, and it's a relatively recent addition to uh, the DSM, I believe.
0: Yeah, 2013, so it's been around about 10 years, or it's been in the DSM about 10 years.
1: Absolutely, and most of the focus in research about ARFID has been in children, so it took a while for research and for assistance to be able to be developed for adults. We finally got into a place where resources are starting to appear, which has been very helpful. So I learned about it from my therapist in 2019. I was going for other things and I just happened to mention that like also I've, you know, been a picky eater all of my life and it wasn't it was causing me stress in that like when coworkers would ask me out to lunch, I would often have to say no because I wouldn't be able to eat anything at the restaurant they were going to. My eating patterns were very repetitious. Uh, I would eat you know, the same things for most meals of the day if I could. I i mean, that's not changed. I still have basically the same thing every breakfast and, and lunch for most days. But like, that's my low-key superpower is I don't get sick of foods. Every <laughs> single morning, it's a bagel and cream cheese preferably sesame but you know i'll take what you got and for lunch the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some sort of chips but my palate has always been very basic i'm just like a hamburger with only ketchup pizza only cheese and then sometimes i'd pick off the cheese people are amazed that like i have the least desire to eat cheese of anyone i know besides the people that are <laughs> lactose intolerant and can't and some of them still do so yeah, it's, it's been a very short list of foods that I would eat, like chicken tenders, chicken nuggets. It, it made me feel, I've, I was definitely like infantilized with some people I've met on dating apps of like, I don't want to date a two-year-old. Really? Yeah. That explicit about it. I uninstalled Tinder after that. That was not good. That was a while ago. I think I was like 2011. But getting a diagnosis, I think, really helped me to identify it as something I could work on. For such a large part of my life, I'm 38 years old, I was diagnosed when I was 33, and being able to have a name for it really helped me to find communities of people out there that knew what I was going through and resources to help broaden my palate and be able to get over this, I, you know, somewhat work with it more, uh, so that food hasn't been as much of a problem for me since then. How did the diagnosis actually come about? So I was in therapy uh, in 2019 because I was having trouble in my marriage and I was trying to get more skills to be able to explain myself and understand uh, emotions better, like just have more detailed language around emotions and what I was feeling so that I could better communicate with my wife at the time. And this was just something else I raised as like, this has been a pain point for me in my life of, you know. Uh, I'm a pick eater and I just, I didn't really think of it as a focus of why I was going to therapy, but it became something that, that we talked about every once in a while. And uh, until at one session, she asked me if I'd ever heard of ARFID and she explained what it meant. And I honestly don't remember much else of what she said at that session. I just kind of like was hyper fixated on like, I'm not just broken. There's more of us. There's, something out there uh people are looking into this and and it's it's not just me being a pain in the ass and not eating at uh just eating whatever food is in front of me so she recommended me to start seeing a nutritionist or a it's either a nutritionist or a dietitian that helped work with me where i was at i was afraid that like if i went to a nutritionist they'd be like oh well just go eat all the foods that you're not eating what's what's wrong with you a lot of people probably would have said that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I'd encountered most of my life. So I just assumed this was gonna be more of that. But she like sat me down and helped like gave me a list of foods and had me like rank them on like a scale of one to five of one is I'd, you know, never eat this in my if I had a gun to my head and five is like I love this food, I eat it all the time. And we started working with the the fours and the threes of like trying these foods and exposing me to them multiple times so that i could start with things that were less uh, daunting and try and add them into my list of foods that i would uh, find acceptable and doing that slowly helped widen my palate i definitely eat the f- more foods than i ever have before in my life at this point like before uh recording this i had uh salmon for dinner which is not something i ate before uh, going through this process and has really helped add uh, you know non-meat option to like to dinner for me instead of just like chicken breast or steak or hamburger with my normal go-to's. She helped introduce me to like bell peppers uh, and onions, like things that I like had encountered a little bit but really never really thought of, and she helped me give them a uh, context in which I would enjoy them. Uh, which for me has been fajitas. So we'll make fajitas at home with like chicken breast and onions and red bell peppers and put some lime on it and hot sauce. And it's been like one of my favorite foods for the last few years. And it's not something I ever would have even thought of trying. Nice. Before the pandemic started, I, I had been doing this work for a little while and a coworker of mine invited me out to his favorite taco place. And I it was like the first time I. Had that kind of test and I was able to say yes and go eat tacos for the first time, which I appreciate him because he didn't react like I was crazy when I told him I'd never actually eaten a taco before, (laughs) even though I know that was the correct response. But he (laughs) just treated it like it was nothing and let me enjoy it and didn't judge me about it. And it was it was a very good experience. I'm glad to have had before I wouldn't be able to eat at a restaurant for the next year
0: (laughs) at all. Right. Oh, that's right. That was terrible timing.
1: Yeah, it really was. Uh, I kept doing the remote sessions with my uh, nutritionist, and I would just had to prepare things myself, but I kept doing it for, uh, for a while. And I've definitely become a little bit more adventurous in what I will try. I've def- It definitely, the process helped me switch the default response in my head from, if someone would ask me if I'd eaten, if I'd liked something and I hadn't tried it, my default was I don't like that or, you know, no, I, I would not like that. And it's helped me transition to I have not tried that before. I might be open to trying that. I would like to try that. It's been a process, but I'm I'm very happy with the steps I've taken and the progress I've made.
0: Can you talk about what I, maybe you won't be able to describe it, but what is it that what what is it that turns you off about food? Is it is it texture? Is it taste? Is it? fear of choking or gaining weight or or what is it that can you can you articulate what that is
1: there's a lot of different reasons you touched on on a lot of good ones for a lot of different people with ARFID. some people have emetophobia like they're afraid of throwing up or that a new food will make them throw up uh some are scared of choking some just don't want to deal with the constant need of having to put calories in your body and just avoid eating altogether i think mine aversion centered around both things with strong smells that were unpleasant. It's very hard for me to uh, intuitively. I know that a thing could smell different than how it will taste, but if something smells strongly and it's, it's not something I'm familiar with or something I I don't want to be around, it's very hard for me to want to try it. And I think I have a little bit of the emetophobia of not wanting to eat something new and have it upset my stomach and throw up. And the other thing is I'm, really strongly turned off by certain textures. I think the easiest example is like mushrooms. The texture of a mushroom is very off-putting to me and to have in my mouth. So having to learn which textures I want to avoid but which ones are all right, has been a a process. That's a lot of thought that goes into that that I wouldn't have thought about. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very different. People have different things that turn them off, off about foods, but it, it also has, a, our fit in general has a big overlap with autism and autism spectrum, which is something I said quite a few times before my friends gently sat me down and were like, you know, you're neurodivergent, right? And yeah, that's a fair point. Just not something I'd actually considered. But everyone around me was like, oh, well, we don't need to tell him because he knows. I guess that's what I would have thought. I guess I should reveal that we are cousins. Yes, we are cousins.
0: Not super close, but we have known each other a long time.
1: Yes. I was at your wedding. You were at mine.
0: That's right. I, I guess I would have thought, too, that that was just stone because I've never we've never talked about it.
1: I'm sorry. We were the best men at each other's weddings.
0: <laughs> That's, yeah. That, OK, that sounds better than we were at each other's weddings.
1: That's yes. Right.
0: <laughs> Somebody flew a drone into me at your wedding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was a helicopter.
0: Oh, oh, my mistake. Uh, that
1: sounds worse, actually. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It sounds better because I survived. That's how tough I am.
1: That's true. You're very tough.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I, is, is that something that you've explored with, with your therapist? Is that something you have a, an actual diagnosis for or not so much?
1: No, I haven't seen my therapist since uh, early 2020, which is when I got divorced. After after that, I didn't have a lot of turmoil in my life and didn't really have a need for a continued therapeutic relationship. But, but I kept on with a nutritionist. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I don't know that I need to get a, an official diagnosis for autism or or anything. I I was I was diagnosed with ADD as a kid and at the time I don't believe they would diagnose you with one if you had the other. Okay. When in reality there's a lot of overlap between the two diagnoses. I did a little fact checking
0: and that is absolutely true until the DSM-5 came out in 2013, it was not formally permitted to diagnose ADHD, and Autism Spectrum Disorder at the same time. How about that?
1: I, I don't feel a need to have a diagnosis and have it potentially used against me as you know mentally unfit, which is sadly a thing that can happen.
0: Yeah, that's an important consideration for sure. Life insurance and health insurance and whatnot. Yeah. Which, right, it's very unfortunate.
1: That or forced hospitalization.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember when you were a kid that you were a very picky eater, Can you talk about what, like, what differentiates someone with ARFID from just someone who is a picky eater and it's fine?
1: I mean, I think ARFID is a subset of of picky eaters. Not everyone that's a picky eater has ARFID, but I think people that don't grow out of uh, just having a picky phase and just stick to a very a small subset of foods are more likely to have ARFID. I think people think of picky eaters as like children and at a certain stage of life of They are refusing to try new things, seemingly without reason. And I think ARFID is more of a, you know, a longer term issue with a person.
0: Did you ever have any bad experiences with food growing up that looking back might have contributed to any kind of aversion or no?
1: I definitely had situations where people tried to force me to eat things where I refused or would try it and be so anxious and and, uh, upset about it that I would throw up. I can definitely think of a specific uh, instance where it happened with carrots. And to this day, like the carrot texture is just not something. It's, it's too crunchy, and I cannot handle it. I don't know if it's just because of the texture alone or that memory, but it's just that vegetable has been written off for me. Okay. That's the only specific thing. It's, I know when I was younger, there was a time in my life where I used to eat like a lot of macaroni and cheese. But at a certain point, a switch flipped and I couldn't handle that texture. It was too gooey and too much cheese and I just couldn't handle it. And even now, it's it's too much for me. So I don't know what happened to make that change. Uh, I don't know if it was an experience I had or just something in my brain deciding.
0: What is the feeling like? Like if, if if you were going to contemplate eating something that you were uncomfortable with or if you did eat something that you were uncomfortable with, how does it make you feel?
1: It would make me specifically have this kind of anxiety in my chest, just like having a, a frog in your throat, like uh, feeling like you could feel uh, a bite of food inside your stomach and worrying that it's going to come out and that just kind of chest tightness or under your like, esophagus. I feel like that's the that's the physical manifestation of the anxiety I would feel about trying something I didn't like, especially before I started working on it.
0: You mentioned that you used to avoid going to restaurants and and avoid certain social situations because of you, you knew that you didn't want to go there or you were, or you were averse to doing that sort of thing and you mentioned the dating situation uh, any other ways that that it affected you just throughout life that you can think of
1: I mean it definitely feels like you know for humans, food can be a very social activity. There's a lot of times where people will get together for lunch and dinner where I would usually prefer to be alone so that I could have whatever food that would be fine for me without having to think about it a large way that it it impacted me was that for the longest time thanksgiving was my absolute least favorite holiday just because it was so centered around a lot of different weird foods that i did not want to you know eat or smell or touch just like The entire concept of a casserole with unspecified things and ingredients in it that could not be identified from looking at it, (laughs) just like that's just a horror beyond comprehension. Okay. I'm not going to look at you in the eye and say that's uh, not how I feel about it today, but maybe one day I I can eat a casserole. Well, when you put
0: it that way, it sounds scary to me, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It could be anything in there. You never know. Yeah. (laughs) How much do you trust that your loved ones are good cooks?
0: Have you avoided going to holiday get togethers or avoided family because of that?
1: I skipped family Thanksgiving for five or six years. I think before, I, I think I resumed going maybe a couple years ago just because I didn't want to, uh, I don't, I don't want to deal with the questions because inevitably there's somebody new there. One of my parents, friends that have joined us that would ask why I'm not eating anything and make a big deal about it. And, bring attention to whatever preferred sauces I like to put on my food so that I like it. And just avoiding that instead of have, dealing with it was just preferable to me. I'd rather like have a meal, uh, you know, a nice celebratory meal with, with my friends and family and you know my chosen family. So that was, that was a, a big issue for me for a while. And even once I started on this journey, I would have Friendsgivings where people would bring certain things and I'd ask to i'd like have a year where i wanted to try a few different types of mashed potatoes so a few different people would make mashed potatoes in different ways so that i could try a little bit of each kind and see what which one i liked best and have a little experiment and then you know there'd be a bunch of mashed potatoes and everyone's happy i love that yeah but like that was like a nice time for me to to try it out and because i also had like a fear of like people paying a lot of attention to me trying a new food because that's like Something that's been true in my life is people want me to try things. And then if I do, their full attention is on me, and that's so much pressure. Wow, I bet. Eating those kind of exploratory meals with my friends and having like instructing them ahead of time, like please don't, you know, <laughs> don't make a big deal about it. Let me do let me try this in my own way. And then I would go through what my nutritionist helped me do, which is to like take a bite of food and like smell it and you know, think about it, and you put it in your mouth and like but don't move it around at all and just like focus on the, the taste and then feel the texture and like having a very methodical way to introduce a new food and to give it a fair shot without having the external pressure and attention before I returned back to the, the family setting of, of Thanksgiving and, you know, gave them the those same kind of instructions and it's, it's gone really well.
0: Uh, you mentioned the, the rating scale. How do you, how do you go about identifying a food that you want to, try introducing and then, and then you mentioned already some of the techniques that you use for that, but can you talk more specifically about how that process works?
1: Yeah. Um. So this is something that we did at my house a few months ago. I think it was right before Christmas. I wanted to try some different pasta sauces because I, I want to try to eating more pasta. I've enjoyed spaghetti uh, in my, in trying things. It's, and I wanted to try and figure out which pasta sauce would be best to Go with it because I like the pasta sauce. at We went to Maggiano's and like did a whole family style. Got a whole bunch of dishes. I could try a bunch of them. It was a great time, and I wanted to do that. Start being able to do that at home. So Maya went to Kroger and got five different pasta sauces and like put them in each in like their own little ramekins, so I could uh, try a little bit on uh, of each different sauce on a little pile of spaghetti. And I like kept a notepad and. Gave them like little ratings and explained, uh, put a couple words about why I I liked it or or didn't like it. So we had uh, oh six different sauces. It was like five, four different just marinara sauces, a vodka sauce, and a pesto. All the pasta sauces were about the same. There was one that was like more watery, so the texture it didn't stick to the noodles as well. So I I and I'm I'm big on sauce. I love I love a good sauce. So if it doesn't stick to the noodles, what are you doing here? That's your one job. <laughs> Besides tasting good, I guess. But uh, funnily enough, the Kroger brand marinara sauce was my favorite because it's it's was hearty and it, it tasted good and it stuck to noodles. And I don't know that I calibrated my scale, but I gave it a seven out of ten. Okay. I don't know what a, a ten looks like, but I think I think if I did ran it again, it would be closer to a nine. Okay. All right. All right. Um, but but then like I tried the the vodka sauce and that you know just. The taste of that one didn't do anything for me. And I gave it a two and just wrote, not great. And then the, the pesto, I, I was afraid that pesto was going to be a much more uh, intense taste experience than it actually was. I wrote down that it was not as bad as I thought, but I still gave it a three. It wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to experience more of, but I, I wasn't as uh, afraid of it as I, I thought I would be.
0: It's a hard thing to force yourself to do something that you just don't want to do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's so much easier to just keep doing what I, I know works, but I also want to be able to go explore new things, and part of exploring the world is eating different foods, and I want to be part of that.
0: Did you ever have any physical issues as far as like malnutrition or vitamin deficiencies or anything like that?
1: Not that I'm aware of. I've definitely been on multivitamins as, uh, over the last five years because that was one of the first things that my nutritionist wanted me to do and make sure I was doing. I'm on much more supplements now because they were recommended by my doctor, so i guess I guess maybe <laughs> i I did have low iron last time I was in at the the doctor's office, so oh interesting, okay, yeah, I'm on an iron supplement, so that's probably i guess where else am I going to get the nutrients from other than the food I eat so
0: yeah with iron definitely, yeah
1: so nothing nothing specific but other than the low iron, i guess
0: well, and the fact that it didn't show up until you were you know, in your late thirties suggests that you weren't, you weren't too deficient.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely went to the doctor every year before now. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I should have asked that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I went, uh, in December, 2019 and then, uh, not for a while afterward, but I'm, I'm back. I'm, I have a, a great doctor now that's, that's very helpful and I'm appreciative of. Has that
0: person, your primary care person been, been pretty open to the, uh, to the ARFID situation?
1: You know, now that you mentioned it, I don't think I have told them about it. Okay. It didn't seem like something that they needed to know, but I had so many other things that they did need to know that <laughs> sure. <laughs> if you've ever seen Parks and Recreation, I had the Andy Dwyer moment of walking into the doctor's office and you're like, this hurts and I can't hear and my, my vision's all blurry and my arm is broken and I bumped my head. Okay. I had, I had 18 different things. So, like, okay, well, where, where are we going to start? Okay. So, I should mention the ARFID, but I had, I had more impressing things to attend to. Understandable. Yeah. But yeah, tell,
0: definitely tell them next time you go back. I'm sure they would be interested in knowing that. Has it had any effect on self esteem or body image over the years or now?
1: I've definitely blamed it on a lot of my. I, I'm a larger person, and I think a lot of that has to do with eating less healthy foods. Because there's only so many foods I I do eat, I'm going to eat more of the unhealthy things that I like, and I think that's definitely had an effect on my on my weight and therefore my my body image. Post diagnosis, I've definitely been a lot more forgiving with myself, of like this is something I'm I'm working on it as hard as I can, but also I have a life and there's other things going on that I can't focus on food all and working on this all the time. It's been, it's been five years and I'm making slow progress and uh, I've definitely been able to lose some weight in that time, but it's not been my main focus. It's more as long as I'm healthy and getting the nutrients that I need that that's the important thing. When you do have
0: to go to events where it's not possible to coach everybody on, on the situation, how do you, how do you handle stuff like that? Like maybe work related things or social things where you're not close with people
1: there? I mean, the nice thing about Restaurants in the post-COVID era is everybody has their menu posted on the internet. Okay. So I I generally do some research ahead of time to see what the food options are going to be, and if it's not something that's compatible with me, that I'll just eat beforehand or bring a snack or uh, just I I try and make it. I know this is my problem to, to solve. So if I'm going somewhere to a party or a work event that doesn't isn't going to be serving food that I want, then I'll just eat on my own, and so that I'm not an issue. I don't. I don't want to make people cater to me. I want to be able to just participate as if I were normal. I, I don't know that you're abnormal. <laughs> well, agree to disagree. <laughs>
0: we all have our issues. I don't know if that makes you abnormal.
1: Well, what even is normal?
0: I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Because <laughs> it's not this. Me. Nah. Uh-uh.
0: <laughs> that makes me feel bad, though. That makes me feel sad. I don't want you to. I don't want you to think you're abnormal.
1: Normal's boring. Okay. <laughs> You're not boring. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's exactly the sweet spot I want to hit. All right. all right. All right. We established earlier that I'm I'm probably on the spectrum. Which is not abnormal or weird either. A lot of people are. No, it seems pretty common, at least around my circles.
0: My husband tells me I am all the time, and I, don't, I can't tell if he's kidding.
1: No, I don't think he's kidding.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I got a diagnosis out of this.
1: <laughs> yep, you've been peer-reviewed. <laughs> it's, it's one step away from self-diagnosis, uh, Okay, so it's okay. <laughs>
0: um, have, you, have you met anyone that has the same diagnosis or has very similar issues?
1: I've definitely met a lot of people that have problems with food that fall into this category. It's a pretty wide category because it also includes uh, people that are, are avoidant of uh, food. And just try not to think about it, which is, I think, is uh, important to note. is entirely separate than anorexia, where people will just not eat. Period. Sure. This is like they're not they're not against eating at all. They just don't want to deal with it, and it, it's it's a burden on their life that they'd rather not think about. And then, oops, it's been too long, and I haven't eaten anything, so it's time for breakfast, lunch, dinner
0: from what i've read about it that's a that's an important distinguishing feature is it's not um, it's not the same motivations as people who have anorexia bulimia or, or other uh, eating disorders definitely
1: yeah and it's definitely been lumped in or misdiagnosed with with those uh, a lot of the time before arfid existed they just had a different diagnosis called sed or selective eating disorder
0: oh that sounds familiar i feel like i
1: have heard of that yeah that's i believe that that has uh, turned into arfid got you I'm in a Facebook group uh, with a, a dietitian that is adults with ARFID, formerly selective eating disorder. Okay.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. That, the information I read said that ARFID is also known as selective eating disorder, but that so that was a separate thing
1: that has the criteria has changed for it. Yeah, I think it it, it has existed longer than ARFID has. I think ARFID is just the more modernized version. Because I think I think selective eating was uh, targeted exclusively at children. And ARFID is more encompassing of adults with the same issues.
0: Do you remember this as a lifelong thing? Like, do you you remember
1: any particular time when this started or got worse? Or has it just kind of always been? My memory of childhood isn't great. I I mean, like, my memory in general is not great. So I don't remember anything specifically uh, after, like, two, three years, except for, like, big, giant memories. But every day, just eating stuff, this kind of falls off a cliff. So as far as I remember, it's always been a thing. I remember my, my parents tricking me into eating swordfish. Uh, they told me it was white steak. I, I don't remember how old I was at the time, but old enough that I needed to be tricked and believed that. So <laughs> it, was, it was true from early childhood, at least. Uh, but also, don't trick people into eating foods that they don't know about. That's, <laughs> that's haunted me for a long time.
0: Okay, yeah, I can see that. I can see where that would be a trust issue. Yeah. Yeah. D- did you, well, how did you
1: like it? Did you eat it? I did like it. That's the unfortunate part. Swordfish for the longest time was like the the one fish I would eat. I, I still would have appreciated to have chosen to try it and enjoyed it. That would have been more meaningful for me. How long did you think it was white steak? <laughs> I don't think it lasted more than that one meal. Okay,
0: got you. <laughs> <laughs> got you it's funny but it's not funny i mean
1: it's funny in retrospect i just i i wish it wasn't a a core memory of my childhood
0: yeah 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 i mean i guess you i guess you can see it both side from both sides if you're a a parent who you know is concerned that your child's not eating anything maybe maybe you would resort to something like that but but from the other side of it thinking of being tricked into eating something by somebody you trust that sounds more sinister
1: yeah it's definitely not something i blame my parents for i mean they were the only ones around to feed me and i (laughs) Do rather they fed me instead of letting me starve. <laughs> so I I can understand it being a struggle, especially with like not having a name for it, not understanding why I wouldn't just eat things. It's, it had to be frustrating for them, just trying to you know keep me alive. Yeah, that's
0: fair. That's fair.
1: So I I hope to be more knowledgeable for my children in the future to be able to help them eat things and not pressure them too much if they don't want to try it and just keep giving them options and opportunities.
0: I'm very impressed with how, much, with how much effort you've put into the whole situation. That's awesome.
1: Absolutely. I, I, it's been important to me to be able to, to eat more places. I went out to uh, an all-inclusive resort in the Dominican Republic last month where you know, I couldn't leave the resort. I had to eat at the restaurants that they had that were only open you know, between certain times. So I had limited options for most of the day, and I didn't have any problem at all eating. Nice. We ate at almost all of the restaurants there and I was able to eat it at all of them except there was one that had like a fixed menu and was was trying to be very fancy. That was not for me, but it was all inclusive. I just popped up to the steakhouse afterward and
0: I was good to go. Has that experience broadened your horizons as far as thinking about doing more traveling? Like, would you be more willing to travel and venture out now that you kind of have a better handle on this?
1: Absolutely. That, that was part of why I wanted to work on this in, in 2019 and 2020 is because the plan in the beginning of 2020 was to go to Spain for my sister's wedding. Oh, right. And I, I wanted very much to be able to go to Spain and eat things there so that I might live. <laughs> and uh, so I was working a lot on, on trying new foods and especially Spanish foods before it became clear that that was not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want to be able to to travel and see more of the world, and food is a giant piece of that. So, absolutely, it's it's helped me having that that one experience. I know it was in a in a resort with a menu I could look up ahead of time, and I did. But it makes me happy knowing that I should be able to take care of myself better in in different places of the world. Even if it is a
0: you know relatively controlled environment, it's still out of your comfort zone. I mean, it's still you know that's still a big step.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I It was very meaningful for me. Just like I had a moment at the resort where it occurred to me that five years ago, I could not have done this.
0: That's a nice feeling. It's nice to realize that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Any specific misunderstandings or misconceptions about people with this issue that you, would, that you would like to clarify or that you'd like to
1: help other people clarify? There's definitely some people that can see it as the back when it was just known as a, people were picky eaters. It felt like it was a personal moral failing of like. You won't just eat this thing. Just try it or just eat it. I got a lot of that kind of pushback when I, in my 20s and early 30s, and especially as a a child, that, you know, it wasn't just that easy for me. In my head, I I was running a lot of like, what does it smell like? What what do I think it tastes like? Will it make me throw up? What's the texture going to be like? Is it odd enough? Part of it, part of uh, my aversion is like, if a, a food is supposed to be served hot and it's cold, a lot of times that's going to change a lot about it and then I'm not going to want to eat it. I feel that way about deli meats. Of like, this meat is supposed to be hot and this is cold. I don't want to eat cold meat. That's gross and slimy.
0: Do you mean things like things that were hot that have been left sitting out so long that they're now cold? Or or like soup that's supposed to be cold? That that kind of situation.
1: I think it's more the the former of like, I I like things to be at their intended temperature. If I get a delivery order, I will pop it in the microwave every single time, just because I want it to be, you know, normal amount of hot, not the cooled version. Yeah, that sounds like
0: just common sense to me. I don't want, (laughs) I don't want stuff that's been sitting out and come to room temperature. Yeah,
1: yeah. But some people like really love cold fried chicken, and I just that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. Is is a cold pizza thing for you? I think I've actually have eaten cold pizza once or twice and it's, it's definitely a different thing it's uh it's not the same as eating a hot pizza sure i think being able to compartmentalize it as like this is a different experience helps so you know progress
0: you mentioned w- when you were younger there was like a whole process going on inside your head when while people were you know while you were trying to decide if you want to eat something or not that that no one yeah. would have been privy to did you ever try to articulate that like were there ever times that
1: you tried to explain what this is I don't think I was conscious of it myself. I feel like I was just defaulting to no, and like I have a bad feeling about it, and not having the language to interrogate that feeling. Okay. And having gone through the the process with my nutritionist helped me be more mindful about what is going on in my mind and and my body when I'm trying new things to try and focus on the little the questions that I'm trying to answer and the the feelings of trying to, to avoid. I think
0: you have a really good nutritionist.
1: Yeah, she's great. Yeah. I've not actively worked with her in a couple of years just because doing it remotely and preparing things myself was, was kind of a drag and I should follow up with her and see if I, uh, I can pick it back up.
0: It sounds like she's giving you some really great tools.
1: Yeah. She definitely helped me in a way that I, I'm still going on my own, even though I'm not seeing her just like being able to, to, have the, the trip to Maggiano's where I tried a bunch of things and then bring that back home and try and make things here. I think she'd be proud. It was hard not to feel like a failure when I stopped having time for it in my life, but I'm glad that I was able to take what I learned and actually put it into practice.
0: It's really impressive. It's impressive. You've done a lot of hard work there.
1: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: I'm a big fan of therapy. I feel like I spend all day long telling people to, to go to therapy and try counseling. And that I wish it was just the thing that you went and do that, that you go and do that. Just like you get your cholesterol checked every six months or whatever, you know?
1: Yeah. Just go talk to someone. I, I feel like it's the framing of it is in society is terrible. It's like, this is where broken people go to try and fix th- themselves and piece their lives back together. Yep. And no, it's just someone, it's nice to bounce your feelings and thoughts off someone and be like, is, is this anything? Like am, <laughs> am, I, am I just making this up or or are my feelings valid? Or do I need to reframe this? Or is there is there something in the situation I'm missing? And having a professional that is able to, to listen to what you're saying and say, maybe you should, you know, interrogate this and not not tell you what to do, but like help you think about it differently it's so valuable. Everybody should go to therapy.
0: Yeah. That's what I tell people all the time. Like just getting that third person, you know, impartial point of view is so well, you said it invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, you know, I talk to people at my church or I, you know, I talk to my sister, but there's always, there's always strings attached when it's people in your life like that.
1: It's nice being able to talk to someone impartial that doesn't know. Yes. That knows they're talking to you, but is also aware that you're probably an unreliable narrator. (laughs) Sure and it's not afraid
0: to say something because it's not going to damage your relationship, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think in my head, I always thought you went to a therapist and they would tell you what you should do. And the experience is so far from that, that it was, uh, it it took me back. It was just like, it's more, more of a, a nudge, if anything, of like, Hey, have you heard of Arfid? And that, that started a snowball rolling downhill that became an avalanche in my mind.
0: Well, it's worked out really well. I'm glad they, I'm glad they brought it up. Yeah, me too. If someone thinks they have this, or you know, has similar tendencies, what what uh,
1: advice would you give, or what resources would you recommend? So for therapists and nutritionists working in the field, there's a great resource called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Avo- Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Catchy. Deals, yeah, it's very catchy. Uh, it deals. This is for professionals, so it's got a lot of uh, worksheets and. Information about ARFID and the different, repre- you know, presentations of it for people that think they might have it. the The same authors put out uh, a more public-focused uh, book called *The Picky Eater's Recovery Book: Overcoming Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder*. That's got some good worksheets that you can do yourself. There's a There's a couple that will that are available freely online that you can do that will help you take a little test, do a little quiz, and it'll tell you. If you have fit in and what presentations of it, if it's more avoidant or restrictive. Reading the Picky Eaters Recovery book has definitely helped me, in addition to working with a nutritionist, to kind of reframe how I feel about new foods and how the process of trying them could look like for me.
0: That's super helpful. That's a great recommendation. Thank you.
1: I'm in some groups on Facebook of people that are neuro- neurodivergent and they... Uh, We'll talk about you know eating the same thing over and over again, or uh accidentally not eating until anything until four or five o'clock at night, and I'll be like, "Hey, uh hey friend, have you heard of our fit <laughs> uh and I get to i uh, I've had people respond back and be like, "I did not know this existed, and I just went down a rabbit hole looking into it, and this this perfectly describes me, and just being able to have that connection with people of like, hey, you're not alone friend yeah there's there's other people like you, and there's Something you can, you know, work on it if you feel you need to work on it. If you're, you know, happy and healthy and don't feel the need, then, of course, you know, live your life. But if it's something you want to try and overcome, there's resources out there. There's a community.
0: Yeah, that's a huge thing with any kind of psychological issue. And even in the DSM, it's like, you know, it, it has to be a problem before it's a problem. You know, if it, if it's not interfering with your life and you're fine, then it's not a problem.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really important point. But being able to find and other people that have it and talk to them about their experiences and get that kind of mutual uh, encouragement of like, hey, I went to a new restaurant today and people being proud of you for that. That uh, was hugely helpful in my, in my recovery process.
0: Are, are there any specific c- communities or Facebook groups or anything that you'd recommend specifically for that?
1: On Reddit, there's the subreddit ARFID. Uh, is a great one. It's got a ton of resources linked in their in their wiki and their sidebar. Um, it's a great community of people to talk to. They have a Discord if you want to join their Discord and talk to other people with ARFID. And on Facebook, there's a group called ARFID Support Group for adults with ARFID previously diagnosed as SED. That's the the group that I'm most active in, and it has a lot of specifically um, specific assistance. From professionals in the, in the group, there's a person named Felix Economakis that is a nutritionist in the field and works specifically with people with RFID and does remote sessions with people uh, to help reframe their, how they think about food and has been able to help a lot of people.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'll put links to the books and those uh, resources in the show notes for sure. Perfect. That was great. The time flew by. Like, that was a very interesting conversation. I appreciate your insight and being willing, just being willing to talk to me and open up about it. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, of course. I had more to say about it than I thought, but <laughs> I, we filled up an hour almost. I
0: know, I know. It doesn't feel like it's been that long. Well, David Hahn, and I really appreciate your time. I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed being able to dive into this part of my life with you.
0: All right, that does it for this episode of Knowledgeable Provider. I'm your host, Jody Marks. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like, subscribe, or follow on your preferred listening platform. Give us a nice five-star rating and leave a nice review. If you'd like to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash Provider. And as always, stay safe, take care of yourself, and take care of your patients in that order. very impressed by what you just
2: did (laughs) sending you links yes